Good morning. This is the word of God, starting in chapter 13 of John and verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he said, sorry, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do, ought to wash each other's feet as well. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Amen. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning, church family. How are you? You guys good? Uh, My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome. Glad to have you joining us. And uh, yeah, it's a joy to get to go through John's Gospel. It's a joy to get to teach on this passage. And um, before I dive in, just a real brief thought. You know, it's, it's um, one of those things pretty common on a Sunday morning. Oh, hey, how are you doing? How was your week? That kind of casual conversation. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm generally pretty upbeat sort of a person, but had several people come, oh, you doing all right this week? And it, to be honest, it's heavier week. Uh, we found out on, on Monday evening um, that our dear sister, uh, former staff member, Carla, uh, passed away uh, after her battle with cancer. And you've probably heard us talking about her um, over these last few months, even years. And um, I'll say a couple of things. Uh, her husband was here at the first service with family members, and we've got more family and friends who are here today with us. And actually, uh, the Tuttles made the, the trip all the way up from Oregon to be with us this weekend. And so um, you guys remember Travis was one of our founding elders, and, and Kami and the whole, the whole crew, all the boys. It's good to see everybody again. Wish it was under different circumstances. Um, but there's a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, the, the funeral and the memorial service just turned out beautifully, so thank you to everyone who participated. Number two, uh, the theme of Carla's faith was just beyond apparent yesterday. Uh, everybody who knew her, everyone who shared, everyone who spoke, uh, there was a theme of a little bit of jealousy because we all know where she is right now, and that's sitting face to face with our Savior Jesus. And uh, Carla's a woman who knew the cleansing love of our Savior Jesus, and because of the cleansing love of Jesus, she served tirelessly our church family, and our church body. And so I want to dedicate uh, the teaching today in her honor and in her memory. And uh, I said at the memorial service, 
I don't honestly know exactly how it works. Like if people can like look down from heaven and hear what's being said about them. The Bible's not entirely clear about all those details that we wish we knew about. Um, but I like to think that she would be saying, Aaron, stop talking about me right now and talk about Jesus. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, but I just want to say that and share that with you. And thank you for um, all of your prayers. Uh, keep, keep Bill and the rest of the family members in your prayers as well. And Speaking of prayers, let's go before Jesus right now and ask his help as we dive into this passage today in John 13. God, we come before you today and we thank you that we can boldly come before you because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross, living a a perfect life and, and dying in our place and rising again. And Jesus, thank you that you wash us clean. This idea of it's not just that our debts are canceled, it's not just that our offenses or our crimes are forgiven, but that you cleanse us from the defiling effects of sin, both our own sin and the sins of others. What a profound thought. And so Jesus, I pray today as we talk about these things that make us feel unclean, I know for myself and many of us who are here, there can be these defenses, these walls that go up. And God, I'm praying that you'd send your Holy Spirit to lower our defenses and to lower the walls right now that we might, uh, that we might really experience your cleansing at a deeper level. Guard my lips, help what I say to be truthful and, and helpful and edifying. And God, give us all receptive hearts to your word. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So I've been reading through um, the Old Testament just as part of kind of my personal reading of the Bible. And... Uh, I actually am in Deuteronomy right now, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and, you know, Genesis is filled with all these stories. Exodus has these amazing stories of God freeing the children of Israel from Egypt. And then about midway through Exodus, the, the books really take a, a kind of a, a sharp turn. And it's not a lot of stories, and it's a lot of laws and regulations and statutes and um, this portion of the Bible, the Torah, is, is known as the law because of these types of instructions. And there's this thing that just I keep noticing as I'm reading this, this theme of clean, unclean, clean, unclean. Uh, in fact, in, in Leviticus 10, God actually gives an instruction to Aaron and, and the priests who serve. He says, you must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean. And you got you to teach the Israelites, you got to teach the people of God all of these statutes that the Lord has given to them through Moses. How many of you guys know that this part of the Bible, at least somewhat? You guys know what part I'm talking about? If we're honest, uh, this is the part of the Bible that many of us get bogged down in our, you know, read through the Bible in one year. He's like, get to Leviticus, like, oh, oh more blood and sacrifices. And I got to get it. I can't remember if I got to get a goat for this sin or a bull for this sin, or can I just go with the turtle dove? And if you needed a goat, where would you get a goat? Like, I'm assuming Snohomish somewhere, but like, I don't know where. Like, that's as far as I've thought through the plan. Do I go and just knock on the neighbor's door? Like, hey, can I have your bull? Yeah, I'm going to sacrifice it, but not in your yard. It's fine. Like, how do we do this, right? It seems so distant. It seems so different from the lives that we live to interact with these sacrifices and, and blood and all of this stuff. And this idea of clean and unclean is even maybe more foreign. But I, I don't think it should feel all that foreign even though maybe upon first glance it does. Let me, let me give you some examples. Okay, this is a, a list. This is not comprehensive, but it is representative. Here are some things that might make a person unclean. Leviticus, oh, sorry, Numbers 19, touching a dead body will make someone ritually unclean. Touching a dead animal will make someone unclean. Leviticus 11 says touching a dead beetle. The, 
the, the bug, not John or George, right? Like, uh, uh, touching a living unclean animal will make someone ritually unclean. For women, menstruation and childbirth makes them ritually unclean. Um, here's some ones that are even more difficult to understand. Objects that are touched by an unclean animal. So if you're out in the yard and you're using your, your rake and then a pig walks by and like lays down, you got to burn it. You got to burn your rake. Okay. Uh, people with certain skin diseases. If you are squeamish, do not read Leviticus 13, one through three, because it's like all about like pustules and hairs and like that uses the word discharges an awful lot. And it's like, I, I, I didn't go to medical school. Why am I reading? Why is this in the Bible? Right. Uh, this one seemed a little unfair to me. Numbers 14, being in the same tent when somebody dies. Somebody dies, and you wake up, like, A, you have a situation to deal with, but now you're also ritually unclean. Like, you read through this. Again, this is just some examples that I came across in, in recent reading. Now, I want to say a couple of things so we have a biblical framework of how to think of this. Okay, number one, you need to remember that when the Bible says unclean, it is not necessarily a direct synonym for sinful. Unclean does not mean sinful. It can be that someone sinned and have thus made themselves unclean. But how is a, a woman giving birth sin? How is an, an unclean animal walking by and touching you know, one of your, your tools? How is that sin? It's, it, it can be, but they're not synonymous. So when you hear unclean, don't automatically think I've got sin I have to repent of. Number two, sin, I'm sorry, unclean, does mean no tabernacle, no temple. Leviticus 15 says it explicitly that the people of Israel must be kept separate from the uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. And then third, Jumping ahead to the New Testament, or as my Old Testament professor called it, the answer key. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, the Apostle Paul makes a really interesting statement about all of these statutes, about the law that was given to the people of Israel through Moses. He says this, he says, The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. <clears throat> The idea is that the law, the word there, if, if you know the Greek, the word is, is pedagogos. Peda, pedaga, peda, I don't say it wrong. Pedagogos. Thank you. It's where we get our word for pedagogy. If you're a teacher or you, you, you've worked in instruction, you know that word pedagogy. It's, it's where we get that word from. And the idea is it can be translated as a guardian or a teacher or one of my favorite ways it's translated is a schoolmaster. Somebody, you, you think of like a, like a boarding school. It's like the strict schoolmaster who's going to keep you in line and going to teach you some things. But we come to these passages and we're like, why are these passages in the Bible? Why are there laws about clean and unclean? Why, why is it that I have to burn my shovel if it was touched by a pig? And, and the Apostle Paul says, it's like, it's like going to kindergarten. This is an imperfect analogy, as all of my analogies are, but it's less weird than some of my analogies, and I think it's helpful. So, you know how when you send your, your kid to, goes to kindergarten, my youngest is in kindergarten, and they're going to learn how to write. <clears throat> they give them that big, fat, stubby pencil, right? 
You know the one I'm talking about? Anybody, anybody a teacher here? Anybody, you know, work with young children? You got that big fat stubby pencil. And then they put down paper in front of them. And what's that paper like? It's thick. It's got big, bold lines. And it's got the dashed line going through the middle of it. And they're, they're tracing their letters. And it's all very like big and exaggerated, right? Why do they do that? To help teach these children how to write their letters, how to write their alphabet. Now, Imagine that you sat down your freshman year of college in an English literature class and a dude sits down next to you and pulls out a binder of big, fat, stubby pencils and thick, wide-lined paper. You'd be like, I need to move because this guy is a weirdo, right? The idea being that this is put in place for a time and it's put in place for a season to teach something, but as maturity comes, that is no longer needed. It has served its purpose and you can now, well, now we just type everything, right? (laughs) So we've thrown all of our pencils away. Uh, If you still know how to write by hand, God bless you. It's a dying art. If you know cursive, uh, we need to take out a life insurance policy on you because you're a rare breed, right? But the point is here that the Apostle Paul is saying, These laws were put in place for a season to teach us a few things. Number one, to teach us that God is holy. Amen? God is holy. There's no darkness in him. There's no sin in him. There's nothing unclean in our God. Number two, the world is very broken. We are unclean. We are sinful. The world is sinful. We may not even sin, but sometimes other people's sin gets on us and it defiles us. And number three, we need to be made clean. We need to be washed. That's what the law is teaching us. Sometimes there's this mistaken idea that the people of God in the Old Testament were saved by works. And then after Jesus came and died on the cross, now we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's just nonsense. The people of God have always been saved by grace alone through faith alone in the salvation that is offered by God. Amen. The law was given to teach some things, to instruct some things. God is holy. We're not. We need somebody to wash us clean. Which is why this story today that we see about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples is is amazing. The big idea that we're going to move towards is this, that Jesus humbled himself to make us clean so that we can be with God. Jesus humbled himself to make us clean so that we can be with God. And we're going to see those three themes throughout this this passage. We're going to see the theme of humility. Jesus lowering himself. We're going to see the theme of cleansing and washing. And we're going to see the theme of intimacy, closeness, relationship with God. So keep that in mind as we dive in. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to read with me starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let me pause and set up what's happening here. You know that at this part of the story, Jesus has gone into Jerusalem. We've had the triumphal entry. We've had crowds of people coming out. It's, it's right before his arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion. And there's a few things about this this introductory verse that are just profound. I I want you to notice first, I want you to notice the word Passover. Now, Passover is a theme that we've looked at, right? Jesus had said he's not going to die during the Feast of Booths. He's going to die during the Feast of Passover. Why is that? Because during the Feast of Passover, that's when the lamb is slain that washes away the sins of the people. 
But there is something else happening around Passover that's really fascinating that provides some backdrop to this story. And when, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, God instructed them to bake bread. Do you remember what type of bread God instructed them to bake? Unleavened bread, right? Bread that does not rise. How many people here like to, to make bread? Anybody here like to, to make bread? Yeah? A few of you? Okay. Here's the thing about the leavening, right? Yeast or whatever leavening agent. That's a luxury. Like that takes time. You mix all the ingredients together, you're pretty much done. You put the yeast in, what do you have to do? Literally, just sit there and wait. You do nothing. You have to sit there and wait. God instructs the people to make unleavened bread because they got to get out of Dodge. Well, they have to get out of Egypt, but you know, proverbially speaking, right? We're going to hurry up, make unleavened bread. We got to be ready to go the moment that the Pharaoh relents under the mighty hand of God's judgment. So they made unleavened bread and, and every year the people of Israel would bake unleavened bread. And this was part of the celebration. It's like you baking, you know, Christmas cookies or God forbid, making a fruit cake every holiday season or whatever. Like, you know, you just, we do these things. There are certain foods associated with certain times of the year, right? Pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, unleavened bread for the Passover. But a Along with the baking of the unleavened bread, did you know that there are instructions in the Torah that give very detailed, specific directions on cleansing all of the leavening out of your house? Not only could the bread not have any leavening in it, your home could not have any leavening in it. And so people would spend the entire week leading up to Passover scrubbing their cupboards and cleaning their house out. So this theme of cleansing is already there in the air during the celebration of the Passover. Second thing I want you to notice is that Jesus knows that his hour has come. He said multiple times, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And in recent weeks, we've seen him say, yep, my time has now come. It's now time for me to go to the cross. It's now time for me to go to the end that I came for, the goal for which I came. And you'll notice it says the time has come to depart out of the world. And I want to just clarify, John is using shorthand language there to refer to Jesus' death on the cross, his going into the grave for three days, coming out of the grave, rising bodily, physically, and then after 40 days and appearing to over 500 of his followers, Jesus then ascended to the right hand of God. Sometimes we can have this mistaken idea that Jesus died on the cross and then went to heaven. No, no, no. He, he eventually went there, but there are several other steps. And I just say that to you for clarity as you're reading these, these passages to know that John is using shorthand language. But the third thing I want you to see is this. He loved his people to the end. And it's not just, that, that word end is interesting. It's, it's, it's telos. It's like the goal or the, the finish line or the completion. It's not just, oh, it's not just he just loved them until the end of his earthly life. No, he loved them until his love accomplished the goal for which he came. During supper, verse two, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Okay, we're going to talk more about Judas next week. Real upbeat sermon. Uh, but put a pin in Judas for now. I want you to notice, though, that the devil's at work here. John identifies that, that it's the opposer, the enemy is, is at work here. Jesus knows it. So Jesus, knowing, I love this, that the Father had given all things into his hands. Is that a strong statement or what? Like that God the Father is giving all things into the hands of Jesus. 
And I love this. It's even, it's even better that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So it's like the devil's there and Jesus is there and he's got all things from God in his hands and he comes from God, like, like on a mission from God, like the blues brothers. And he's going to go back to God. I mean, it's just like all this power and all this strength. It's like, we're, we're, you know, we're heading for like a fight, like a showdown. So what is Jesus going to do? He laid from he laid aside his outer garments taking a towel tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him all that language of strength all that language the devil's there and and, and Jesus is there and this is how he enters into battle with a towel and a basin of water He came to Simon Peter. Don't you guys just love Peter? (laughs) Who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Let me paraphrase that for you. What on earth do you think you're doing? (laughs) Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand it now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never Wash my feet. (laughs) This is Peter, right? Mr. All or nothing, right? You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. It's like, bring on the sponge bath then, Jesus. Like, Let's do this. I, not just my feet, but wash all of me. There's a Spurgeon quote. I didn't make a slide for it, but Spurgeon just said, basically, calm down, Peter. Why do you always go so hard one way and then the other? Jesus knows better than you. So just be quiet. I'm like, wow. I love, I love Peter so much. I think he, I think I see myself in Peter at times. This language of, of having a share though, it's, it's inheritance language. It's family. It's, it's, Do you want to be a part of my kingdom? Do you want to be a part of my family? Do you want to be what we've said, we're we're setting up that the kingdom of God is coming to earth. Do you want a part of that? If so, you got to let me wash your feet. And Peter goes, well, then wash all of me. You got to wash all of me then. Jesus answers with something that I think is, I I mean, I've, I've known about this story since I was a child. I've preached this passage before and something jumped out at me this week that has never hit me before. Jesus said to him, verse 10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, and he says, but not every one of you, for he knew who it was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. He's talking about Judas. Again, we'll talk more about Judas a little bit later today, but also more extensively next week. I want you to focus on what he says in verse 10. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And I was pondering that, and I was pondering on that, and as I was chewing on it, I had an analogy come to mind. So I'm going to invite Brittany uh, Hackett to come and join me on stage. Uh, Brittany is married to Pastor Kyle. She's one of our deacons in the church. Do you guys love Brittany? Do you, do you, do you guys love her? Yeah, all right. And, 
And there's nothing that Brittany loves more than speaking on a microphone in front of people. And so I asked her to help share this analogy because it, it, it reminded me, as I was reading this verse, it reminded me of when we were in Uganda together. So Brittany was part of the team that last month we went to Uganda and we served in a, in a pretty remote village. We did a medical outreach. Uh, we got some final numbers and stuff emailed to us this week. It is remarkable what God was able to do uh, in and through you guys. It's just remarkable. Shared some of that stuff up on the blog. But um, here is the thought that occurred to me. Okay, so we're in the village. They call it the bush. We're out in the, you know, remote parts of Uganda, and there's kind of a dormitory. There's no running water. There's no electricity, a little bit of solar power, um, and so you have to take a shower. You have to use, like, one of those solar camping, camping shower things. Yeah, what is it called? Like, just a, a camping sol- solar shower. Okay, great. Yeah, <laughs> I nailed it, um, and I, I'm not entirely proud to admit this, but I, I took the fewest showers of anyone on the team while we were there. I think Progress. I took two the entire time we were in Uganda. Uh, and Brittany, who took the most showers while we were in Uganda? I guess me. Yeah. I think it's because I was working the hardest. Yeah, so that's good. the most. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, though, I had this distinct moment at least, a, at least twice, I remember being like, I'm sitting out in the, in the living room. And, and like, yeah. by the way, the dust there. Like, tell the people like the dust, what yeah. it's like. Cause so the dirt is, it's like clay, like red clay dirt, but it gets everywhere. Yeah. Like every, we were, our little mission house that we were in, I mean, you would find it in every crack and crevice. Yeah, so, yeah. and you, we would take our shoes off outside, yes. but yes. it still was just all over the floor. Everywhere. And so I remember you're like, okay, I'm going you know, to go back, I'm going to take a shower or whatever. And then you came out of the dorm and you're like, you know, you're, you're clean, you're fresh. And then I heard you say, what would you say? Say, my feet are dirty. Already. Just walked out. And it's like, ah. It I was, don't like dirty feet. You do I not like dirty. about that. Yeah, it's, it's not good. <laughs> we, uh, we triggered her with that child dedication slide with the dirty feet that we've been putting Sand up. Sand all the over the baby's yeah. feet. So feet. she walked out. She's, she's taking a bath. Uh, you're taking a shower. And then, like, her feet are filthy. So what did you end up doing? I would go rinse my feet off. Yeah. Before, before bed. Yeah. Before I went to bed. Like every 20 minutes or so? No. Or, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Okay. This is, this is the analogy that I think is happening here. Jesus is saying something like, how silly would it have been for you to go you know, take a shower, get clean clothes and all that stuff, come out and say, oh, my feet are dirty. I'm going to go get back in the shower. That would be ridiculous, right? Yes. And you never silly. did that. No, yeah. I never did that. But you still did have that dirt that got on your feet and you yes. needed to clean it. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to explain how this makes sense in a moment, but can you guys all just give a big round of applause for Brittany? <laughs> It would be silly to say, oh, I need to take another bath. I need to shower again because I got some dirt on my feet. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you've believed in me, you are clean. If you've trusted in me, your fundamental position before God is you are clean. You are washed. You are bathed. But as we go through this journey of life, walking down the path, how many of you know, sometimes we don't always feel so clean. Sometimes we don't feel so, so fresh. You know, we, we, we get dirt on our feet. This is in a time in the world where they all wore sandals. They're walking on dirt paths. They didn't have cars. The transportation they used had a different type of carbon emissions. And sometimes you would step in that. And I mean, this is, this is the, the reality of life. Like there's, there's grossness. It's dirty. It's not a pleasant thing. And by the way, where's the servant who's going to do this? 
Shouldn't there be some servant who's, who's there to do it? Jesus and his disciples are, are laying low. They're, they're kind of keeping a low profile because they know the authorities are wanting to come after them. And so there is no servant. And so I imagine the 13 of them sitting around in a circle knowing that somebody needs to wash the feet. Usually there would be a lowly servant who would be there. Usually a Gentile, the Jewish people wouldn't even put this onto another Jewish person. They would make a, a non-Jewish person wash their feet. And they're all sitting there all 13 of them, in my imagination, just eyeing who's going to go first, who's going to wash the feet. And it's Jesus who stands up and does it. And then Peter says, well, you've got to wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, I don't need to wash all of you. I only need to wash your feet. Here's what Jesus is saying. You even though you walk through the muck and the mire of daily life, and yes, your feet are dirty, you are clean. You only need to come to me for that daily cleansing. See, when we misunderstand this, maybe this is a little bit extreme, but I've seen it in my own life. It's like the proverbial youth group kid who goes to camp, gets saved, meets Jesus, goes to school, does some, something sinful, and then rushes back to youth group the next week and says, I got to get saved again. No, you don't. You're saved. You need to go to Jesus for that daily cleansing of your feet. Oh, I've, I've, I've walked with Jesus. I've loved Jesus. And then I wandered. I, I, just, I was in sin for a year. I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in. I need to get baptized again. No, you don't. You are clean before Jesus. You need to go to him for your daily cleansing. See, when we feel like our fundamental posture before Jesus is that of unclean, we won't go to him. But Jesus is saying, you are clean. Come to me. Just bring me your feet. Let me wash you. Let me clean you up. How many of you know that shame that I'm talking about? How many of you know that feeling of, I don't want to bring my yucky stuff into the light. But Jesus says, if you've trusted in me, your fundamental position is clean. And we're free now to bring our feet to Jesus to be washed. And actually, you know what's interesting? It's not just Jesus. There's other disciples there as well. You don't need to hide your feet. You don't need to hide those things that you step in from other people. The one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet. Do you believe this, friends? I've talked to far too many people over the years who have said something like this to me. You know, I, 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 I want to believe that God loves me. I want to believe that I could go to church. I want to believe that I could be part of the, you know, the community of faith. I just need to take care of some things first. And my response is, is usually in line with the, that there's a line in one of the hymns that we sing. If you tarry, if you wait until you're better, you'll never come at all. Go to Jesus. Bring him your feet. Bring him your head and your hands too, but bring him your feet. Christian, you are clean. And there is no shame and there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And by the way, maybe the dirt that's on your feet, maybe it's something that you stepped in. Maybe it's sin that you committed. Maybe it's the sin of somebody else that was affecting you. Like we saw in the Old Testament, 
unclean does not necessarily even mean sinful. It can, but it doesn't mean. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when you're around that person that just makes you feel icky? You walk away from that conversation. Sometimes I think my mom used this word when I was growing up. You just feel like slimed. I'm just, I don't feel clean. I don't feel okay. And maybe it wasn't even anything you did. It's something that someone else did. Bring that to Jesus too. Let him wash your feet. Let him wash your feet. When he had washed their feet and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Pause. You know those Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts? Yes, Jesus is our friend, but the starting point is he's teacher and Lord. He is rabbi, he is Adonai, he is master, he is teacher, he's all of those things. The fact that he calls us friend is remarkable. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right. So if I, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet, well, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay, Uh, it's not a trick question. Is Jesus a good example for us to follow? Yes, he is. Excuse me. Should we follow the example of Jesus? He explicitly says so. I've done this for you as an example. But before we can follow his example, we must first be washed by Jesus. We cannot follow his example. In fact, we will be immensely frustrated trying to follow his example unless we first have him wash our feet. We cannot go around and wash other people's feet unless he has washed our feet first. This whole story, this whole scene here is the gospel enacted. If he doesn't do all of these things first, then we cannot follow him. Let me me show you what I mean, right? The humility of Jesus. Jesus takes off his outer garments and puts on what? A towel, a servant's towel. It reminds me of what we read in John chapter one, way back when we started reading this gospel, that, that the word became flesh, that the divine son of God put on humanity. Or in Philippians where it talks about he assumed the form of a servant took on the nature of a servant and lowered himself. Jesus putting on the towel is a symbolic picture of the divine second person of the Trinity putting on mortal flesh. And him cleansing their feet with with water is a symbol and a picture of him cleansing us to the deepest part of our souls by his blood. In fact, in 2 Peter it talks about if, if you're stumbling and you're kind of losing your way, Peter says it's because you've forgotten that you have been cleansed of your former sins. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Jesus, when Jesus says to Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me, you have no share with me. Does Jesus really care about like dirty feet in the kingdom of God? Like, sorry, Brittany, but like, no, like, it's, that's not what it's about. He's using it as a symbol to say, you need to let me wash your soul. You need to let me wash... All of who you are, even that part of yourself that you don't want to let someone see. And then the the coming 
close of Jesus. He's, he's washing their feet. He's touching their feet. This is a picture of intimacy with God. Again, back in John chapter one, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That God comes close to us in the person of Jesus. And, and, and even this act of like washing their feet, like he's touching their feet. Okay, uh, how many of you have ever seen a foot washing ceremony in a church or something like that? Anybody? Okay, very few of you. Uh, there are multiple church traditions that do it. I've, I've read about uh, Anglicans. Certain Anglican churches do foot washing ceremonies. Uh, in my growing up years, it was hippies uh, who did foot washing ceremonies. And I remember the first time I saw a foot washing ceremony, uh, it was at a wedding. And the bride and the groom had decided that part of their wedding was going to be this foot washing thing. And so they went and they got chairs and they sat down and they took off each other's shoes. They started washing each other's feet. And some thought, ungodly thought, went through my head that was like, this is gross and weird. And if anybody tried to touch my feet, they're going to go meet Jesus. And like, it's just like all those sorts of thoughts are going, like it, it was just kind of strange to me because we don't, touch each other's feet. Like, we, sh we shouldn't touch each other's feet, right? I was trying to think, like, what's the closest analogy we have in our culture is, is probably like a massage, right? If, if you ever go to get a massage, like, that's kind of the only thing where it's like, and you walk in and the masseuse says, like, okay, please, you know, please undress to your comfort level. And I'm like, you're looking at it. You know? And it's like, <laughs> right? Like, we just don't have, right? Here, here's the thing, Okay. I was talking with one of our members yesterday at the, at the memorial service. One of, our, one of our guys, Rob, I don't know if he's in the room or not, but Rob and I were talking about, he's like, man, I love how many of the men in our church say, I love you to the other men. And I thought to myself, yeah, that, and I've thought about that for a long time. Like, that is strange. I don't, I don't leave the gym and the guy's like, love ya. Like, it just, <laughs> but I'm going to try it this week now that I thought of that. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I cracked myself up with that one, sorry. Oh. And I'll get it on video too. Uh, but like at church, like I regularly hear men or like phone calls, like, hey, I love you. How precious is that? How beautiful is that? Because can I be honest? I think our culture is relationally and emotionally stunted in some unhealthy ways. It should not be weird for men to say, I love you to each other. It should not be weird for us to express physical affection, even to the point of washing one another's feet. It shouldn't be that weird because in all of this, Jesus is saying, I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you. And Jesus comes. He assumes flesh. He assumes the servant's towel and he moves near to us, even to the point of washing his disciples' filthy feet. What do we have that God doesn't already know? Why would we keep him at arm's length? Why would we keep him at distance? God has already given us all that we need in Christ Jesus. This is all about the gospel enacted. This is about Jesus showing us what he came to do to humble himself, to cleanse us, and to bring us into close relationship with God. And then, based on all of that, we can now serve because Jesus makes what's true about him true about us. Jesus makes what's true about him true about us. It's not true about us on our own, but in Christ, it becomes true about us. Oh, what does it say? Jesus is loved by the Father. Did you know that you're loved by the Father? 
Because of Christ, because he died on the cross, you are loved by the Father. And not just like a a little bit of love or not like a tolerating kind of love, but the very same love that God has for his one and only son, he has for you. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you beloved. He calls you precious. You are loved. Jesus makes what's true about him true about us. It says that Jesus has all things given into his hands. What did Jesus need? What does Jesus have? Everything. Oh, in Romans, the apostle Paul says, if he has not spared his own son, will he not surely give you all things? So dear Christian, what do you have? All things. You have everything you need. You have everything your heart could ever need for life, for godliness, for relationship with him and for relationship with each other. Isn't that amazing? Jesus makes what's true about him true about us. And because that is the foundation, now we're free to love and serve and care for others. Verse 18, I want to finish this passage and then share a couple of quick concluding thoughts with you. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This might be a way of saying, uh, the the, the one who, who ate my bread kicked me when I was down. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is more about Judas. And Jesus is saying, not all of you want to be washed by me. Got to imagine, I mean, we don't, it doesn't say explicitly, but it says he washed the disciples' feet. You got to imagine that Jesus was washing Judas' feet, looking him in the eyes, knowing what Judas was about to go do, betray him with a kiss for 30 measly pieces of silver. Judas had a different agenda. He didn't want to be cleansed by Jesus. He didn't want his identity to be founded upon the cleansing love of Jesus. He wanted to prove himself in the world. So how do we respond? Some of you here need to respond by receiving the cleansing of Jesus. Today, if that's you, if you've never Come to Jesus for cleansing. If you've believed that lie that maybe you need to take care of some things first before you can come to Jesus, I'm pleading with you, would you come to Jesus? Let him do the work of cleansing because only he can do it. Only he can wash you at the deepest level of your heart, the deepest level of your soul, the stain that goes all the way to the very marrow of your bones. His blood can purify that. Don't clean yourself up. Come to Jesus. For others of you who have received that cleansing, I want you to remember that you've been cleansed. You need to be reminded that your fundamental position before God is clean. You are clean. The one who has been bathed does not need to be cleaned again. You have been cleaned. But with that also, go to him for daily cleansing. What what you've done or what's been done to you, Jesus, here's my feet. I know that I'm clean before you, but here's the stuff I've stepped in today. Here's the stuff. Oh, and by the way, part of what it means to go to him for this cleansing means going to the people of God as well. Who do you have in your life that you can say, you know, again, proverbially speaking, here's my feet. Here's what's going on. Here's what I stepped in. Here's what somebody else kicked up onto me. 
And then lastly, humble yourself and serve others. If Jesus could serve us in this way, if Jesus could lower ourselves, lower himself, then, then we can lower ourselves to serve others. I was thinking about this. Um, what does this mean in our culture, okay? Again, we've already established nobody is touching anyone's feet here, okay? Uh, what would it mean to really like lower ourselves to serve others in the way that Jesus has served us? I think one of the main things that we could do is give of our time to give our time to others. We live in a part of the world where um, busyness is the norm. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. Just busy. How you doing? Oh, busy. Busy. I was like, I'm going to put out a jar out there. Busy. Every time you put it, say busy, I'm going to put a dollar in it. We're going to buy any church building we want to, right? In fact, I actually think that's, it's easier for people in our region, in our area to give money than it is to give time. Another one I think that you could give is the, you could give the gift of your own vulnerability. We live in an area and a part of the world where kind of the suburbs is, is marked by everything looks good on the outside. The roads are clean, the houses, they have a fence, the garage door is shut, which kind of keep everything boxed up neat and tidy. What if you showed up to your small group, your community group, whatever, and you started just being vulnerable about, hey, here's some thoughts that I had and here's, you know, I yelled at my kids and here's, you know, whatever's going on in your life, here's my dirty feet. And that you ministered grace to others when they shared what's going on with them. You could actually look somebody right in the eye and say, wow, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. You know that you're clean before Jesus, right? You say that to them. God, we bring our hearts before you now. God, I pray for anyone who is here today that struggles with this this feeling of shame. That our feet are dirty, that our hearts sometimes feel dirty, but, but Jesus, would you help us to believe the truth that before you, we are clean. God, I ask and I pray that you right now would move in anyone's heart who's here today that's never come to you for, for that washing and that cleansing. God, I ask and I pray during this time that that they would come to you in prayer and say, God, I don't want to clean myself up. I want to let you do it through Jesus and his blood. God, as we enter into this time of response and and worship and singing and, and a celebration of the Lord's table, I ask and I pray that we would not only know that we're clean intellectually, but we would experience it in our hearts. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.